so I came to Africa. I read a bunch of Wilbur Smith books as a kid and uh, you know this was the, the next frontier in terms of adventure. I came here thinking you know this was, it was only going to be six months. You know my, my reasons for the choices I'd made right up until arriving here had, had been personal reasons. I joined the military uh, for adventure. I went to Iraq to make money and I came to Africa looking for, 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 for a fight rather than a cause. And uh, it was not until I got over here and, and started working with wildlife rangers and seeing what was happening to animals that I really started to reevaluate myself. And I see wildlife rangers that are looking after essentially the heart and lungs of the planet. And they, they've got such minimal resources or training or even, even public acknowledgement to the sacrifices they were making. That's Damien Mander, a critical puzzle brick in safeguarding the future of the planet is to protect the biodiversity. Apart from being a hardcore alpha male with a big heart, what Damien does is to protect some of the most magnificent creatures that have ever walked the face of the earth. Creatures that run a high risk of extinction due to us humans. He's an Iraq war veteran who served as a naval clearance diver and special operations sniper for the Australian Defence Force. And after traveling and learning about poaching in Southern Africa, Mander was convinced that his specialized military skills, personal finances and experience could contribute significantly to wildlife protection and conservation. So he liquidated his life savings and with the money he founded the International Anti-Poaching Foundation. His work has been featured in National Geographic, 60 Minutes, The Guardian, BBC, CBS, Forbes, the list goes on. His TEDx talk at the Sydney Opera House has been seen over 7 million times. I promise you, Damien is a pretty damn cool human being, driven by a strong purpose to leave this planet in a better shape. This is a guy who is a master of personal transformation. Finally, getting Damien on the show means the world to me. He's such a relatable human being. The combination of who he is, where he's coming from, and the message he's carrying is really unique. And he has had a massive influence on me personally, on my journey to become a better version of myself. So, you ready for this one? Let's do it. Hi, Damien. Uh, I am first of all. I'm I'm just so impressed with the work you're you're doing and uh, everything you stand for. Um, getting you on the show means the world to me. I have to tell you, um, because one reason you've had a massive influence on me as a person. Um, a few years ago, when I literally turned upside down on, on my life and my family's life. Uh, like how, how we choose to view the world and how we choose to engage with it from, from like standing up in the morning until the moment we go to bed. Um, it was kind of this revelation. Like if, if, if a guy like you can, can transform your life in the way you've done, then I believe that I could do it too. So thanks for that. Uh, Jacob, thanks very much, mate. Thanks for having me on. And uh, I really appreciate your words there. So thank you. Cool. What about starting this from from uh, the very 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 helicopter perspective of, of poaching 
um, because that's what you're devoting your, your life to. And what, what's, what's that all about? And what are the dynamics keeping such an awful industry alive? Yeah, when I, when I arrived uh, in Africa, well, the first time in 2017, and eventually moved here in, uh, sorry, 2007, eventually moved here in, two, in 2009, I saw firsthand what was happening uh, to, to animals and to the natural world here. And, and I'd just come from a military background. So for me, uh, of course, you know, when, when you're a hammer, everything is a nail. Uh, and, you know, I was looking where I could insert myself and the skills I had into, into the problem that I was seeing. And these were, were armed groups of, of poachers, uh, fairly well organised, working as part of organised crime syndicates, uh, crossing international borders in, in groups of up to 16 or 17 people at a time uh, and going out to hunt elephant uh, and to a lesser extent in the area where I started, uh, rhinoceros. And, uh, and they, they, were, they, they were carrying automatic weapons, heavy caliber rifles, uh, and generally treating uh, rangers as, a, as, a, as a, someone that they were willing to take out as much as the animals they were hunting. So that, that, that was where I started and where my focus uh, began. And of course, that, that was the seed, which you know, eventually gave me a, a global perspective on on where we are as a, as a species and as a, as a civilization and, and, and what we're doing and the, the, the destruction of the natural world. And that initial start point for me had left, you know, eventually built what, what I see as, as a lifetime vision of, of wanting to be able to sit back one day and, and say, I, I played a part in, in helping to protect as much of the natural world as possible. Uh, we're sitting here at, at now, uh, almost two years into civilization itself being brought to its knees uh, as a direct result of the way, the bad way that we treat nature. And we, we often, as, as humans, we think of ourselves as being above everything else. Uh, the reality is we're, we're one of millions of species that has been on this planet uh, over the last uh, more than 5 billion years. And species come and species go. And that's the reality of it. And, and the quicker that we figure out that we are expendable, um, and if we don't start treating the planet in, in a right way, then we, we are the endangered ones, just like the animals we're trying to protect. And, and so uh, for me, it's, it's not just about humanity and civilization, but it, it's about what we take with us on the way. And uh, uh, so we, you know, our programs focusing on, on protection of certain species, species that were being targeted by the most militarized tactics and um, building systems to go out and defend those animals into now seeing conservation on a much broader, on a landscape scale focus uh, and understanding that uh, uh, environmental issues, environmental issues are social issues. And when you address the social side uh, of the social issues in the areas that you're working in, you have an environmental or a conservation outcome. Uh, we still have uh, animals and species like elephant and rhino and, and um, or, or basically everything from the trees uh, to the birds uh, and, the, and the, the fish uh, and the areas we work are being targeted. Uh, it's a natural resource that has a price or a value on it uh, with ever-increasing human populations uh, that are willing to, to take the risk to try and, and get their hands on, on this, either, either to, to, to keep themselves alive or to, on a commercial aspect uh, to, to make money. And it's, uh, it can be a very difficult space to work in. Um, I suppose from a, a, you know, the standpoint you've got to take, uh, uh, you know, it's, 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 there's nothing, there's nothing enjoyable about arresting someone who's, who's trying to 
uh, poach an animal uh, to feed their family. Uh, and this is the dilemma that, that you, you, this is this moral dilemma that you're constantly stuck with. But ultimately, if you come back up to this bigger picture, if we don't, if we don't hold on to what we have left, then, then uh, there's going to be nothing left. Yeah. Yeah, really, from a, from a planetary perspective, there's, I guess, the, the issue of biodiversity loss, which in, in your case, protecting rhino and elephants. And it's also, an, an, um, you know, we really have to rewild the planet. And that, all, that also means keeping as much land as possible wild. Yeah. So, so I guess, what's your, what's your take on that? No, so we evolved as an organization and, and it really... It, it, to be honest, it took us seven years to figure out who we are and what we do. And uh, we started as this organization that was out training rangers to go and defend elephant and, and rhinoceros. And then I'm saying, okay, well, you know, if you, if, you, if you stop just focusing on those species and focus on protecting a park and, and worry about everything in there, then the elephants and rhinos are naturally uh, going to be looked after. And, and, and also understanding the importance of uh, in the richness of biodiversity and, and our future as a species is, is dependent on our willingness to preserve biodiversity. We then, we then took a, a step further back and said, well, instead of focusing on parks, let's look at landscapes. And if a landscape, think of, think of a landscape as a jigsaw puzzle uh, and each one of those pieces, it may be a different park. It may be a communal wildlife area. It may be a, a trophy hunting area. Uh, and, all of these pieces fit together and form a natural landscape. They just have different designations. Uh, and so we, we wanted to look at, at these landscapes as a, as a whole uh, rather than, than, than the, the individual parts that could be looked after. And that's where we've gone now uh, as an organisation into landscape scale conservation uh, and working uh, to re-establish traditional wildlife corridors. Uh, but also, I, I would say, focusing on the areas that would otherwise be lost so our work is not in national parks our work is is in partnership with local indigenous communities that have uh, massive tracts of land that they've held under trust what's called a communal or tribal land trust uh for for, for many many years now to give you a, a, a an understanding of the significance of these areas there is more than twice as much land on the African continent that's held uh, under traditional or tribal land trust uh, for conservation than there is national parks. So national parks are part of a government or a centralised system. Tribal or communal land trust are areas that fall under local designation and, and, and looked after and, and owned and maintained by the, the local communities. And so we, we, we seeing conservation as a social issue, partner with these communities and empower them to be able to look after uh, the areas that they, they, they've actually looked after for, for you know, thousands of years. Uh, and it's about building out the social systems, understanding what the social needs are uh, and working in, in, in areas like education, healthcare, water sanitation, local, local infrastructure development, but then also having that law enforcement component uh, within the park. We've gone from being inside a park looking out to the communities to being in the communities looking in. Uh, and that for us... Uh, has become, you know, such a such a, a large scale uh, operation. Uh, we 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 currently working across uh, millions of acres uh, that we either have a presence in or, or projects that are that are in the pipeline, and uh, yeah. So it's it's and we we have a we we've just recently built a, an alliance uh, with other organisations to look at landscape scale conservation and uh, how how we can 
basically build systems out that are replicable but can also protect as, as much of the natural world here in Africa as possible. Yeah. I heard there's this uh, growing um, phenomenon called um, uh, land grabbing. I'm not sure if you've heard about it, but uh, like foreign states coming in and, and grabbing, just grabbing a piece of land from. Yeah, from look, Africa. there's, yeah, look, it's, it's, uh, I mean, so, so the areas that we focus on uh, are owned uh, by local communities, uh, the traditional um, economic model that they've used in many cases has been trophy hunting. Uh, now, whether you like trophy hunting or not, and this is coming from a vegan, you know, I'm, I'm looking at this not from an emotional standpoint, uh, and not even an, an ethical standpoint, but rather a practical standpoint. Uh, we want, you know, trophy hunting as an industry is dying in many areas uh, through re reduction in species numbers. So there's less product for for hunters to sell to foreign uh, people who want to come over and shoot these animals. There's tougher laws and regulations now around the export of these trophies once they've been shot. For example, the United States, uh, the US Fish and Wildlife Service banned the importation of ivory from Zimbabwe, which cut out 52% of the market overnight. Uh, and, and then third, uh, you've got a, a younger generation raised uh, in, a, in a digital space on social media that, that has a first-hand look from the other side of the world exactly what hunting looks like and just doesn't want to get on a plane and fly across the world to shoot an animal. Uh, so all of that, so you've, got a, you've got a shrinking product base, you've got a shrinking client base and, and uh, communities that have used hunting as an economic model no longer have uh, that as an option anymore. Uh, and so they will look to uh, turn the areas they have into something that is commercially viable. And for many, for many, for many areas, that means selling off to you know to foreign in, um, in investment uh, that may want to use it for a number of different reasons. Um, agriculture being one, uh, you know, one primary primary uh, um, uh, component there, but also just human settlement, the expansion of of, of humanity. Uh, and so we wanted to look at areas that would otherwise be lost. Uh, and that's, that's why our communal and, and, and tribal land trust areas for us are, are so important uh, to be able to provide an income and incentive to the communities uh, that, that replaces hunting uh, in areas that hunting has failed. We wanted to look at hunting as an equation to be solved rather than an argument to be had. And of course, you know, everyone has uh, their different views on hunting. Um, I mean, to bring it back uh, on a personal level and, and from an ethical standpoint, I, you know, I, I, I don't like the idea of hunting. Um, um, but, I, you know, worse than, than the idea of hunting is the idea that all these areas would otherwise be lost. And, I mean, I'm talking to you as a, as a former hunter myself. I understand the mindset. Uh, you know, so I've, I've come from that background, obviously done 180-degree personal evolution uh, and, and don't want to hunt again. I never hunted after Iraq. Uh, I knew what it was like to be hunted as a, as a human, uh, and I don't want to project that onto a, an unarmed animal. Uh, but, uh, you know, regardless of, of that argument, uh, there is, um, there is a, a huge decline in the industry and a gap that needs to be filled. And I suppose... You see, there's such a negative sentiment towards hunting from people around the world, but you know, people people want to stop it. But they've also got to understand if you just switch hunting off in, in so many of these areas, there's there's got to be a replacement. So if you want to switch hunting off, don't just sit there and and, and you know put your comments on social media. You need to back alternate solutions uh, that are going to that are they're going to replace the economic incentives that hunting has put into into many of these areas. Yeah. 
I watched uh, or rewatched one of your TED Talks from 2015 where you, where you mentioned that your greatest dream is to be out of work. And uh, yeah. <laughs> what the, I think you also mentioned that there were like 25,000 rhinos left by the time. Uh, do you know how, how are there any signs from, from, from the world now that demand is going down? You mentioned from, from the States, for example, but is, is the population growing or, or still declining? Uh, look, the population is, is still under extreme threat and, uh, you know, particularly um, uh, Kruger National Park, which was home to, you know, at, at one point, almost a third of the world's remaining rhinoceros has suffered, uh, you know, significant losses over the last decade or more. Uh, so look, it's, it's uh, elephants as well. You're still talking, you know, up to 35,000 elephants a year uh, being killed across the continent. It's almost 10% of the, the remaining population. Uh, or estimated population left of, of the African elephant uh, on the continent. So, look, to be out of work would be would be amazing. Uh, that, that that is my dream. The reality is, uh, there's always going to be a threat against nature, and the species may change. Uh, they may come, they may go uh, from certain areas. Um, what inspires me is looking at people like our, our patron uh, and, and head of our advisory board, Dr. Jane Goodall someone that's been involved with conservation for over five decades. Uh, and what inspires me about that is that Jane understands uh, that this is something, it's a fight that's always going to have to be fought. It's not a hobby. It's not a career. It's, it's, not, a, it's not a temporary pastime. It's, uh, it's something that needs to, we, we need to embrace. Uh, and I'm not just talking about myself uh, or us as an organisation, but I'm talking about all of us uh, on the planet. If we don't start to, to bring the idea of looking after the environment into our everyday lives, then, then as I said, we, we, we will cease to exist as, as, as a species. And doing, um, doing good things doesn't give us credits to do bad things. You know, we really need to look at, 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 uh, at, at how we can make changes in our lives, continuous evolution uh, in our lives to, to, to make the world a better place for nature. Mm. Yeah, and and um, I can I can tell you in in my view the um, uh, what really changed me was uh, also viewing your your uh, TED talk from from 2013 in in Sydney, which is quite a while ago now, but it's still it's still alive and kicking. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I actually rewatched it with my wife yesterday in the sofa, and yeah. it's just one of the most emotional and powerful TED talks out there in, in my view. Uh, when, when a guy like you can tell that story and make some of those statements that most men in the position you were in before would never make. Um, yeah. Could you share a bit about, about the, the background story and, and how you ended up yeah. devoting your life to, to this wildlife protection? Yeah. So, I mean, to, 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 to first touch on that, that, that talk at the Sydney Opera House in, in 2013, I was asked to speak about anti-poaching and, uh, it was during the research uh, on that talk that I stumbled down the, the, the rabbit hole of, of the meat industry uh, and the impact that was having on the planet. Um, now, I mean, I, as I said, you know, former hunter, but not only a hunter, I was, I was, you know, the alpha male that thought that eating the big red steak at dinner was a way to demonstrate manliness. And, and you know, I mean, I was eating meat two or three times a day, uh, and, and then I'm now running this organization that's out protecting animals. Uh, and then during this research, I, I come to realize the meat industry is, is the cause of, the, of, 
uh, of the most degradation we have of the natural world on this planet, areas that have been cleared to grow crops, to feed livestock uh, or to put livestock on. And, and, not, and also, a, you know, the responsible for the death of, of, of 100 billion animals a year. And, you know, and, and here I was flying around the world, getting up on stage, talking about how we need to protect animals and going home and all walking around the bush and protecting animals and then go, going home and, and, and putting another group of animals on the fire. And, you know, people get involved with conservation generally for, for one or two reasons or both, because we love animals or, or, or we, love, we love nature. And here I was supporting an industry that was responsible for the threat, you know, the greatest threat against both of those factors. And so, you know, I think conservation should largely be, be driving um, a, a more plant-based or vegan movement in, in the world because it, it, it really is the single most impactful thing uh, we can do uh, as, as, as individuals. And now it took me, it took me uh, a number of years to come to that realisation and there was a lot of internal opposition uh, to that mindset. I knew what I was doing was wrong. Um, but I just didn't want to accept it because, you know, we, we, we creatures of habit and convenience. And, and I was challenging something that I liked um, rather than something I was doing that was wrong. And, um, yeah, so I, I just, in 2013, made the decision uh, that I didn't want to eat meat anymore. Uh, that eventually, you know, initially started as being a vegetarian and then evolved into, you know, very quickly evolved to, to, to veganism. And uh, I would I'll sit here today and say it's the, it's the single most impactful thing I, I, I feel I've done in my life uh, is that individual choice. Uh, you know, the easiest, you know, we, we have rangers out there now uh, risking their life um, against armed, uh, armed groups. Uh, and they, they have to be out there with weapons uh, to protect animals. The easiest way to protect or defend an animal is, is don't stick it in your mouth. Uh, you know, for the rest of us uh, around the world. You don't have to come to Africa to, to defend animals. You can take a stance from wherever you are just in the choices of what you eat. Uh, the flow-on effects from that, from a personal standpoint, a global standpoint, personal, from, from the health and, and just from the, the, the lift in, in conscious thinking. Um, you know, I don't even have to get out of bed in the morning and I know that I'm already doing something that is impactful for animals and impactful for the planet. From a planetary standpoint, when we look at, at, at where we are in terms of, of, of global warming uh, and environmental degradation, uh, it, it's, we just cannot afford to, to, to maintain this lifestyle. It, it is it's just so impactful in a negative way uh, on, a, on a global standpoint, particularly where we are at the moment, trying to reduce, uh, re reduce the, the, the impacts on the climate. You know, we, we have to make these changes. We're not going to be left with any choices. Um, to, to bring it back to, you know, how we started, uh, that was, you know, following a, a, a career in the military, serving as a, as a Navy clearance diver uh, with the uh, Australian military, uh, and then on to uh, work within a special operations unit called Tactical Assault Group East uh, as a sniper. Uh, 2005, deployed to Iraq, um, there until the end of 2007. So, so three years uh, almost in Iraq uh, on the ground there. Leaving Iraq was uh, initially, I mean, it was an easy decision. I was, I'd, I'd done well financially through residential property investment uh, and had achieved what I wanted in, in my military career. You know, I'd served in some of the most elite military units and survived uh, three years um, in a war zone. Uh, and so, you know, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm done. And I took myself to South America and then started to realize where people that come from the military where they start to struggle. And that is when you're in the military, you're surrounded by this, this really sort of 
such a, a tight-knit niche unit, uh, and in my case, a brotherhood, uh, special operations is, is all male units. Uh, I was, you know, had this brotherhood around me, and for whatever, you know, for right or wrong, we had purpose and mission. And so when you take both of th- those things away at the same time, it's very hard to replace them. And, uh, I, I, you know, I replaced it with drugs and alcohol. Um, what initially started out as a, as a, a party um, and, a, and a self-reward um, for, for you know, having done what, I, what I'd done at that point in life, uh, travelling through South America just very quickly descended into a downward spiral and, and um, you know, to eventually, I'd say, hitting, hitting rock bottom uh, and just, um, yeah, just not in, not in a very good space at all. And, uh, you know, fortunately I, I was one of the lucky ones that, you know, when you, when you, when I hit rock bottom, I bounced and, you know, that was enough to kick me into gear and say, all right, what, who, who am I and what, you know, what's, what is my real purpose? And I think purpose is, is one of the most elusive things in life. And many people go through life without finding it. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd heard about anti-poaching, um, years before in, in some barroom chat uh, in Australia and, and it sounded like a romantic adventure. And, uh, you know, so I came to Africa. I read a bunch of Wilbur Smith books as a kid and, uh, you know, this was the, the next frontier in terms of adventure. I came here thinking, you know, this was, it was only going to be six months. Uh, and I would say, you know, at that point in my life, I was still at a very, a very young age, 28, 29 years of age, uh, pretty selfish, uh, you know, my, my reasons for the choices I'd made right up until arriving here had, had been personal reasons. I joined the military uh, uh, for adventure. I went to Iraq to make money and I came to Africa looking for, 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 for a fight rather than a cause. And uh, it was not until I got over here and, and started working with wildlife rangers and seeing what was happening to animals that I really started to reevaluate myself uh, and, and what I was about. And, and, you know, I'd just come from working within a $600 billion a year annual defence budget uh, in Iraq, and we were looking after resources in the ground uh, and fighting the arguments of old men. And, uh, and uh, you know, we had anything we wanted, any bit of equipment or resource we needed to try and get us home safely from our missions each day. And then I come, home, I come, come over to Africa and I see wildlife rangers that are looking after essentially the heart and lungs of the planet and they, they've got such minimal resources or training or even even public acknowledgement to the sacrifices they were making people that were leaving their families behind for up to 11 months of the year working for as little as 200 dollars a month oh. and 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 here i was trying to have an adventure uh on, on the coattails of their hard work and and at the same time seeing the struggle that that wildlife was facing uh and, and you know i've got to say three years in Iraq had given me a different lens through which to view the world at that stage. And, uh, you know, I'd, I was this, you know, alpha, uh, macho, uh, you know, egotistical guy, you know, going into Iraq and Iraq, Iraq humbled me, um, being part of a system that, that destabilized a, a region and, and, uh, you know, squashed and obliterated a culture and a country. And, uh, when you've got time to reflect on that and you realise that you've been part of, of such a negative system, um, it really does give you a, a, you know, leaves you in a place of self-reflection. And, and I suppose if I'd come to Africa at a, at a younger age or maybe not, not have going to Iraq and experiencing that, maybe I wouldn't have seen the issue in the same way that I saw it when I got here and, and, and reacted the way that I did. But for me, it was very impactful. Uh, and there was no way that I was, I was going to leave... Um, 
you know, turn my back on on the on the, the situation that I saw here and, and to speak to a to speak to a, a Viking culture there. I took a burn the burn the boats approach. Uh, I sold everything. Uh, I gave myself, you know, there was no other option than to make this work. Um, I, I sold uh, an entire residential property portfolio uh, and invested 100% of what I had into founding the IAPF uh, in 2009. Uh, we've now scaled uh, to have millions of acres uh, under protection. Uh, we, we've trained rangers that help protect over 14 million acres of African wilderness uh, across the continent. We have a staff of, of around 270 people uh, working uh, across the continent and support supporting us from around the world uh, and in back office and administration and logistics uh, and you know we we we're striving hard to have a staff of a thousand uh, by 2026 uh, protecting a, a network of nature reserves across the continent that span into the tens of millions of acres. Mm-hmm. So there was basically this yes or no moment where you, you 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 asked yourself, am I willing to give up everything that I've worked for and and everything I've compiled and put it into something else, something that's that's bigger than myself? Well, well, it was it was actually the other way around. It was am I am I willing to walk away from it? Mm. Uh, and the answer was no, and that leaves you with only one option: uh, burn the boats. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's that's really cool. So I'm curious. Where, on a on a personal note, then when where where do you get the motivation and, and drive to just go on? Because you you must have witnessed some pretty terrible things, both both in Iraq of of course, but also in yeah. in Zimbabwe, which I get, guess could easily get to you and make you sort of surrender if you don't have a clear vision and, yeah. and goals that you're chasing. Yeah, no, the, the motivation comes from purpose, and the purpose comes from passion. Uh, I'm passionate about what I do. I believe that you know we we are having a significant impact. I know we're having a significant impact for people, for animals, for nature, for planet. Uh, what I do uh, never really it never feels like work. Uh, it, it is a, is a, is a it's, it's purpose. Uh, I don't get out of bed in the morning. Oh shit, you know I've got to go and got to go and do a report or go and have a meeting or anything. You know, it's there is there is a there is a much bigger picture. Uh, that's going on and and you know this is something that needs to be done and we've got such an amazing team uh, of people within the organizations from from the chefs in the kitchen to the rangers on the ground to the management team that we have the instructors uh, the administrative and support team that we have it's just a, it's a it's a brilliant group of people uh, that I'm proud to be a part of uh, and to have that network of uh, all that team around you it, I mean we, we're constantly driving and challenging each other uh, to evolve better systems in, in what we do uh, and to grow those systems because they, they are needed in, in, in such such wide landscapes across uh, so many areas. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's it's not you know you know we 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 we're always looking to evolve, and not only me as a, as an individual but as an organized organization, and to look at to look at nature. Nature has has had billions of years to evolve. Uh, uh, evolution has no predetermined path. It is the cutting of, away of the bits that don't work and, and retaining the bits that do and, and moving forward. Uh, and we as humans, we don't have uh, we don't have billions of years like nature's had to evolve. We have a handful of decades uh, at, at best to do as much as we can do uh, with our life uh, and, and to leave an impact. And for me, that's you know that's you know this is it. This is it, guys. You know, I mean, I, I had to do a post, you know, some time back, and I wanted to Google what the chances of us being who we are are. You know, for all the different combinations of factors on the planet, the chances of you being you and me being me. Have a guess what they are. 
It's not even Four, one in a billion, I guess. 400 trillion to one that you are you and, and I, I am I. People, people, you know, we go through life and so many people waste it. This is it. We've, we've won the fucking jackpot. Okay. We've got a 400 trillion to one chance to do as much as we can on this planet. Why would you want to waste that opportunity? And so that, you know, just thinking like that is, is what drives me every day. Hmm. Yeah. You really got one life. So, so make sure to make it count. Right. Um, so <clears throat> you've also been part of starting this all women anti-poaching unit, which I'm super curious about. I, I watched the, the documentary you released last year, Akashinga, the brave ones, uh, which yeah. is remarkable. Uh, could you tell a, a little bit about why you decided to create this organization? Yeah, so Akashinga is has become our, our central strategy and program uh, in regards to landscape management. Uh, it was it was born out of a, a, a career of of mistakes and, and evolution, uh, understanding what worked and what didn't work. Um, we we were running you know expanding programs uh, that were in, you know, very law enforcement focused and and in some cases heavy, heavily militarized they had to be but we're essentially having this ongoing war with 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 local communities uh in 2017 uh early 2017 i, I read a, a united nations uh, human population division projection of of population growth on the african continent and said by 2040 there's going to be two billion people here and that was a that was a like a, the, the penny dropped for me then it's like okay if we don't figure out how to get the social side right then Basically, we you know we we can't defend just continue defending these areas with bigger fences and more guns. Uh, we had to we had to take that outside in that community approach to and get that right to achieve a conservation outcome at scale and to be sustainable. We started looking at other industries that were getting ahead by getting more women on the board of directors, more women in management, more women in senior positions within within the organisations, and and then laid that sort of filter over the conservation industry industry where women were outnumbered. At, uh, at a ratio of uh, as skewed as 100 to 1 in frontline positions. So women were not getting access to the experience and knowledge they needed uh, at ground level to be able to rise up and, and, and fill those management positions. And it, 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 it was, and, and to a large extent, still is a very male-led um, male industry. Uh, I mean, there's some amazing women, but women just, I don't feel, have been given the opportunities that, that uh, they deserve. And... Uh, aside from that, what made me curious was doing this, this you know, extensive amount of research into women's empowerment. And there was an overwhelming body of evidence there uh, indicating that empowering women is the single greatest force for positive change in the world today, and in particular in rural Africa. Uh, and so we wanted to look at how to introduce um, more, uh, more women into, into what we were doing uh, you know, at the time you had this sort of, you know, this, this silverback uh, mentality of, of leadership within our organization. And, uh, you know, so we, we trying to evaluate how can we, how can we bring women into, into a conservation role? We looked at other organizations in conservation that had women in various roles, but they were, they were, they were limited. Uh, and, the, and they were often what's referred to as tokenism that were put forward as doing, uh, you know all the roles, but in actual fact, they were being held back from doing doing them. Uh, and what was being portrayed is not what was happening on the ground. Uh, so the, the 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 thought process in my mind was, well, if what if women were rangers and took up the majority of of 
of the positions within conservation uh, organisations. Uh, and we started to build out the idea of, of this, uh, what would go on to become the first all-female uh, anti-poaching unit uh, in the world, uh, again, back in 2017. Uh, it, took us, uh, it took us a lot of... Um, we, I mean, it took us seven tries in terms of trying to find a place to start this program, and it was an abandoned trophy hunting reserve that had nothing left to lose. Uh, where we got that start and we had this blank canvas to go and, and, and trial the program. We had to work with local uh, Indigenous leadership uh, and local government to be able to get the approvals to go and do the trials uh, for this program. Uh, we're talking about a very male-dominated industry uh, and a very patriarchal society. So the concept was, was almost abrasive. Uh, and I think we were actually initially only given an opportunity to, to trial the program because everyone thought it would fail. Uh, uh, when we started selection for the program uh, in a country that when I first arrived, uh, Zimbabwe, uh, ha had the lowest life expectancy in the world for, for a woman who wasn't expected to live to 40. Uh, and so when we set out the criteria for this program, we wanted to, to build opportunities for the most marginalised demographic uh, in the country, and that was women in, in, in rural areas, uh, not only not only women themselves, but the, the, uh, the women that were survivors of serious sexual assault, domestic violence, AIDS orphans, single mothers and abandoned wives. And uh, that the, the, these women came forward. We sat through the interview process. They had a representative from each of the villages um, that was also explaining to us their story and their background. And, and listening to those stories of the first 87 women that came through for selection was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. Um, over a two-day period, and um, yeah, from from that those thirty-seven from those eighty-seven women, uh, thirty-seven started uh, selection, uh, and then we 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 took sixteen, uh, the best sixteen of, of those candidates to start Akashinga, uh, and that scaled from looking after one reserve in Zimbabwe uh, and ninety thousand acres to uh, having uh, eight reserves now that, uh, that are being looked after or patrolled by Akashinga Rangers and a staff in Zimbabwe of two hundred and forty. Uh, people that are running the program and a portfolio of 1.3 million acres in this country. Uh, so it, it's, it's grown exponentially because uh, it, it is a new way of looking at conservation. Uh, and, and the differences in this program uh, compared to other programs I've been involved with in conservation, law enforcement and military is with women, we, we, don't, we, we just haven't seen any incidents of corruption yet. Uh, Zimbabwe ranks, I think, around 160 at the moment out of 180 countries on the, on the, on the global corruption index. Uh, so if, um, sorry to say this. Um, I know these are, these are, these are your, your, your neighbours there. Denmark ranks as number one as the least corrupt country in the world. Yeah. Uh, so Zimbabwe is, is down, right down the list at, at 160. Uh, so for us to be able to remove corruption away from, from the strategy, uh, and programs that we were running under it, it, it solved so many of our problems in a very short space of time and allowed us to refocus our energy elsewhere. It, it also shifted the economics of conservation. So historically, we would recruit men from hundreds of kilometres away to come in and protect these areas. And the reason we did that was to avoid corruption with communities they would have grown up with. Uh, so previously with the paycheck going into the hands of men that were living, going, you know, sending that money home or what money they didn't spend, uh, that money was being um, you know, dispersed hundreds of kilometres away uh, from the area that we were protecting. Now, as we've scaled uh, with women at, at the centre of the strategy of conservation uh, in how we operate, 
um, we've been able to recruit all, all of our all, all, all of the women that are part of the program come within 20 kilometers of the boundary of the area we protect because we don't have to worry about corruption. The biggest line items in our budget is salaries for rangers. Okay, so that money is now longer going, being spread across the country hundreds of kilometers away. It's going directly into the local community at household level into the hands of women. Uh, we were able to measure uh, what hunting was putting into the community over the last three years before it failed there as a, as a, as a, as a commercial operation and then measure what we were putting into the community over the first three years of our operation there. Uh, and we, we, can, we, can, we identified that we were putting the same amount into that community every 34 days as what trophy hunting was doing per annum. So we have a viable economic alternative to trophy hunting, which for us is only working with women at the center of that strategy. Uh, and then the, the bottom line actually triple gears because women spend 80 to 90% of their salary on family and local community versus a male that spends 30 to 40%. So it's, we, just, we, just, we, we, we took the largest line item uh, in our budget and we turned it into the most effective form uh, of, of community development, which is women's empowerment. Uh, the second part, which, which then amplifies the effects of this program, is that women naturally de-escalate tension uh, in a law enforcement environment. And this is something, you know, I've built a career across three continents in training men for combat uh, and, and deployment in law enforcement, conservation and military. And uh, I'd never worked with women uh, before this program in, in an operational capacity. Uh, and, uh, you know, again, come from the ultimate boys club of, of special operations. Uh, so this was a, this was a new concept uh for, for me and, and for a lot of people in the industry to be able to look at this and say hey this is this is a way to de-escalate tension with the local communities now when you de-escalate in law enforcement or military uh you demilitarize and when you demilitarize you don't need things like helicopters and these canine attack teams and drones and all, the, all this other stuff you have something that's far more powerful you have interpersonal relationships um, with the communities uh, that live alongside the area you're trying to protect. These are the communities the women come from, the women that were uh, the communities that were raised in, and these are the communities they're raising their own families in. Uh, and so now we have this de-escalation, these relationship with the communities. Women became the bridge that conservation and increasingly militarized industry had to rebuild back into local communities. And what that did for us is it cut our core operational budget of law enforcement by two-thirds uh, because we didn't have all this, this military-grade hardware. We had, we had relationships. Uh, it allowed us to, to then take that money that we'd saved and invest that back into uh, other um, a community social development programs, healthcare, water sanitation, education, infrastructure, uh, and then doing that then opened us up to, to uh, other funding sources because we started to see the impacts of um, all this social development and realised that if we, if we work on the social side, we'll have a conservation outcome. Uh, and so then to, to, I mean, if to, to, to look at the United States uh, as, as, as the biggest philanthropic giver in the world, uh, last year $449 billion was given to philanthropy in the United States. Um, uh, around 14% of that went to education. Uh, religion was number one at 29%. 14% went to education. 9% went to healthcare. Go right down the bottom and take all environmental causes, climate, conservation, animals, domestic and wild, local and international, and collectively that made up 3% of all philanthropic funding that was given. Wow. 
Okay, so just by us now looking at, at, at the healthcare and the education sector, we're working in a market space that is almost eight times the size of, of what conservation was. Uh, and, and it also has such a huge impact uh, in rural communities and allows us to do our core business of conservation. Uh, so we, we, we had like these, these, you know, and it's not like we sat there and mapped this out. Uh, and so then we're going to have all, all these positive flow on effects. We didn't know if the program was going to go beyond the initial three-day selection process. Uh, most people thought it would, it would fall on its face, but it, it, was, it, was, it was remarkable to see the way uh, uh, the resilience of the women uh, in, in the training that we were putting them through. Uh, and in, in a way, I've very much become the student and, and learned so much from them in the, in the way that they conduct themselves in in law enforcement and uh, and the flow on benefits uh, from from doing that, uh, I, I'd say the third the third key component in terms of uh, the the major benefits we've seen from this program is that women are plugged into the community at household level and and that gives us access to information uh, on where poachers are, are moving and uh, and I mean since the program started there's been over three hundred arrests. Uh, that the women have made in Zimbabwe. It's helped drive that uh, more than an 80% reduction in elephant poaching now across a region that had lost 8,000 elephants uh, in the previous 16 years prior to this program starting. Mm, it's, it's amazing. I, I, I believe that the, the world would truly be a better place with more women in, in leadership positions and, and doing work like, like this. I, I guess this is a very good example of of where you actually created some some really positive impact. Thank you. Yeah, it's 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 uh, you know it's 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 remarkable just to see you know how the program has grown uh, and the traction it's gained both at a, at a local level uh, and this sort of social reengineering and you know the actual value of of what they bring and what they should you know should be given the opportunity to bring as opposed to being uh, suppressed as they are in in, in so many places. And uh, you know, it's 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 you know, I'm just really proud to be part of a team that is as uh, that's helping to expand this program. And it, 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 this is not just a part. This is not just a matter of of, of uh, giving a, a woman a uniform and, and a rifle and, you know, and and training and deploying them. We we had to really go back as an organisation and and pull the organisation apart and rebuild it from the ground up. We had two independent. Um, uh, gender mainstreaming audits done on the organization. You know, how do we need to change? If we're going to run a women's empowerment program, then we need to be a women's empowerment organization and look at everything from our board makeup, our, 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 uh, who's in senior management positions, uh, right down to policies, procedures, code of conduct and ethics, uh, and then through training standards and, and absolutely everything had to be reevaluated and then rebuilt to provide the foundation to do a program like Akashinga. Mm. Yeah, that's so cool. So um, last question to you, Damien, what is your vision for the future? You've already accomplished pretty much remarkable results with Akashinga and so forth. What's, what's, what's next? Yeah, I mean, we, we, we run two programs. One is Lead Ranger, uh, which is the training uh, or building uh, capacity within existing organizations, so identifying who, who the best people are um, to lead operations and training and to build that capacity. Uh, and make learning and an ongoing um, evolution within these organisations. Um, and to date, we've we've trained uh, I think over I think sixty four uh, senior instructors uh, 
from six different countries uh, that oversee a range of force of 1,100 people protecting 14 million acres. Uh, that is one program that we run. The other one is Akashinga. If all I did for the rest of my life was focus on expanding, expanding those programs, then uh, I would consider that a life uh, well-lived. Um, they both have a significant impact uh, and they're both innovative. Uh, they, 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 they're disruptive uh, in terms of conservation, in terms of the industry and in terms of law enforcement. Uh, and, you know, we're looking, you know, we have other people looking at us from around the world, from different law enforcement sectors. Uh, a recent paper written by a, a former um, senior person from international narcotics and law enforcement uh, from the United States government, uh, identifying the, the, the reduction in corruption when women are placed at the, the centre of the strategy in law enforcement. Uh, so, there's, you know, there's, again, there's so many positive spin-offs that are coming from what we're doing and as we evolve, and just to be a part of you know this organisation that, that that we have here, and uh, to be growing these programs, that is absolutely enough for me. It's um, you know, essentially harnessing the most powerful force in nature, and that is a, a woman's instinct to protect and 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 look after the family and local community. And uh, when you bring it back to that, uh, it, it sounds so simple, uh, yet is implemented in in. in so few places and uh you know so it's 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 you know it's again really great to be a part of a program that is helping drive our change and in innovation yeah super so um if someone want to support you on, on this cause what's the best way to do it uh just yeah yeah thank you for throwing that in jacob i would have forgotten otherwise but uh yeah of course yeah we are a not-for-profit organization actually sweden is 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 uh, I've, I was just there recently. Uh, it's it's one of our biggest donor bases and, and a group of supporters there, uh, you know, just behind the United States. And uh, yeah, but if people want to learn more about what we do, then go to iapf.org uh, and and have a look at what we do and, and to read about the programs. And of course, yeah, anyone that supports, we are grateful for it. Thank you. Mm, cool. So Damien, uh, thank you so much for joining in. It's been a pleasure thank having you. Thank you very much, uh, Jacob. Replanet Podcasts.